whether you're a YA veteran and you come every week or you're checking us out for the first time, let me just say, welcome home, that you belong here. And I hope that tonight you came expecting something different, because as you can tell, it's already different. I hope that you came expecting God to move, because I believe that God has something very special in store for tonight. And so my name is Jackie Kosminski. I have been blessed. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I have been blessed to join the YA staff team this summer as one of the summer interns. And tonight, the Red Rocks church interns are taking over. Yeah, it's exciting. You can, there we go. <laughs> Um, so yeah, not only will you hear from all three of us summer interns from YA, but you will also uh, be led in worship by our summer interns, Lauren and Casey, who do an awesome job. <laughs> but I firmly believe that we can't start tonight without praying, and so um, God, we ask that you're here. We ask that you move. We ask that none of us leave this room being the same. Um, God, we ask that this time spent in worship isn't just pleasing to you, um, but that you change us through it as well. Um, and so, God, be here. Do your thing. It's in your name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. <laughs> so as I said before, I am one of the summer interns. And if you know the guys that I interned with, I'm sure you can easily imagine the stupid stuff that I got to watch them do. <laughs> if you follow us on Snapchat, I'm sure you know that even better. Um, really quickly, about week two of the internship, I learned that when we were in public, I needed to stay far enough away from them that it looked as if I didn't know them, <laughs> but close enough that I could still laugh at whatever they were doing, because these guys, they're hilarious. Um, and so last week, we went to Heaven Fest. Did anybody go to Heaven Fest? <laughs> All right, a few of us. And so if you didn't go, you missed Red Rocks worship on the main stage. You missed hundreds of bands doing their thing. And you missed Tevin and Neil's 15 minutes of fame. Oh, yeah. So typical Tevin and Neil, they got bored pretty quick about handing out flyers about YA and the party that we have here every night. And they started joking about what if they were famous. And so they put on my sunglasses. Tevin or Neil tied a sweater around his neck. You can go ahead and throw up that picture. And they started to offer people autographs. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's like kind of funny until there's a line of 100 people, guys, clear down the aisle waiting to get an autograph from them. There's 12-year-old girls following them with their iPhones taking creeper pictures. <laughs> and if you're in this room and you got duped by them, I'm sorry, they're just Red Rocks interns. <laughs> but we're glad you're here anyways, so welcome. <laughs> um, but honestly, I couldn't imagine a better group of people to intern with, because not only are they down to have fun, um, they also are just so filled with zeal for God's kingdom. And a couple weeks ago, they were brainstorming ideas for the meetup. How sick was the meetup? <laughs> Y'all, if that's not one of your favorite nights of summer, you're wrong. <laughs> um, but anyways, they were brainstorming ideas, and I remember sitting at my desk thinking, if they continue to live with such ferocious faith, that they'll get to be 90 years old and not regret what they had done. And then that got me thinking, like, what do people regret? And thankfully, we live in the age of Google, so it took me about 10 minutes to find a study done in 2014 where researchers asked people in the final stages of life, what do you wish you would have done more of? And there was plenty of answers, but three stood out above the rest. And the first is they wished that they had done things that outlived them. 
They wish they had done something to leave a legacy, something so worthwhile that it would continue on after their time on earth. And the second thing that they wished is they wish they would have reflected more. They wish they would have focused less on the details of the here and now and more of the end game, the big picture. And the final one, and this is the one that struck a nerve in me most, is they wish they would have risked more. They wish they would have lived more boldly, taken more chances. And this, this hit me in a wrong way because I'm not a risk taker by nature. I'm not the person to sign up to go skydiving or bungee jumping <laughs> at all. If it's anything to do with like possibly dying, I'm out. <laughs> and then I don't know how this became a thing, uh, but for all you adrenaline junkies, this is like the number one comeback. And they always say, well, you could get hit by a car tomorrow. That's like why you should go try to kill yourself actively by like jumping out of things that you should not jump out of. And my theory is I look both ways, so no, I won't. <laughs> um, and so even though I'm not a risk taker, this summer has accidentally been filled with risks. And the first um, was, was becoming an intern. And none of this was something, none of this was anything that I did confidently. And none of it was anything that I did fearlessly. Um, and, and I have to tell you guys this story because it's just too great to not share with 600 of your closest friends. Um, I was too scared to park my car at the Lakewood campus when I was about ready to meet with Jesse and the YA team to, to talk about being an intern. So I drove around the block. I'm like, okay, I can do this. I can do this. And so uh, this is something that happens like fairly rarely. I give myself like little mental pep talks. <laughs> and so the, the second time I went around the block, like I don't think the construction people really noticed me. Um, but the third time there was like some definite eye contact. And so I'm like, okay. And so I like keep gaining more courage. And then by the fourth time, nice construction man with six teeth and long greasy hair. Um, he is like so smooth. If you're a construction guy, take notes. Um, he uh, switches the slow sign to stop. And I like slam on my brakes. He starts marching over to me and I'm like, oh great, I was speeding and I'm gonna get like yelled at by the construction man. And so he starts pointing down. So I roll down my window like the teeniest bit. He says nothing. He just slips a piece of paper into my window and then walks away. And so I'm like, what? <laughs> so, so I put it in first gear and I'm like looking. He wrote his number, not his name, just a number on a Taco Bell receipt. So if you are single in this room and you are looking to date a man with six teeth and long greasy hair who does construction, apparently that's the move, you're welcome. <laughs> but the truth is, is I was scared to go and meet with the YA team. I was scared to try and fail. I was valuing fear over freedom. And if God has taught me anything this year or this summer, and if you listen to anything that I say, it would be this, that when you value fear over freedom is for one of two reasons. You have a low view of God or you have a low view of yourself. You have a low view of God or you have a low view of yourself. That's the only way that fear can keep you from doing things. And Bill Bright is the founder of Crew. Has anybody heard of a Crew? It's kind of big. Yeah, okay, 12 of you, good. Um, but he says this, he says, I'm more convinced than ever that there is nothing more important to teach another believer than who God is, what he is like, and why or how he does what he does. In fact, everything about our lives, our attitudes, our motives, our desires, actions, and even our words is influenced by our view of God. Our fear is influenced by our view of God. 
And it wasn't actually until the meetup that this truly sunk into me. And um, I have a friend who's stepped into church maybe a handful of times, and he seems disinterested in everything that church has to offer. But he's my friend, and I was telling him about the meetup and the games that we were going to have and the songs that we were going to sing. And in the back of my head, I kept thinking, like, yeah, get the, get the courage to ask him to come. Just invite him. And, and I never did. I never got the courage. And um, just as Matrone was finishing his message, and the worship team was coming back up. He sent me a text message, like, how'd it go, kid? And so I sent him a picture of all you guys at Clement Park, and he said something that I'll never forget. He said, man, I really wish I could have been there. And it wasn't because he had something else to do, something different to do. It was because he didn't know that he was invited. And it's like, what kind of intern am I? <laughs> like, I helped plan this event, and, and I let fear get in my way of asking someone to come. I was valuing fear over freedom. And so I was thinking about the root of that issue, and the root is I didn't believe, I didn't give God the credit that he's due. I had a small view of God. And it's impossible to walk with confidence in following God's will for your life if you don't give God the credit to, to which he's due. If you think of him as small or inadequate, you're not going to be willing to take risks for a small God. You'd only be willing to take risks for a large God. And thankfully, our God is anything but small. And so if we're going to begin to value freedom over fear, then we have to look no further than who God is. And so in 1 Peter, he is described as holy. In Zechariah 9, he is just. In Deuteronomy and 1 Corinthians, he is faithful. In Joshua, he is the one who will never fail you. In Genesis, he is the one who created you. In James, he is the giver of wisdom. In the Psalms, he protects and he forgives. In Romans, he is righteous. In John 11, he has authority over death. In 1 Samuel, he is the source of knowledge and truth. In Hebrews, we are told that he is never changing. In 2 Corinthians and in Philippians, Philippians, we are told that he is the one who makes all success possible. And so our God, he is consistent, and he is all-knowing, and he is everywhere always. And he has all authority, and he is true love. Our God is perfect, and he created you. He created you, and so how can we become a slave to fear when someone like that spoke you into existence? So no matter how you feel, Red Rocks, YA, you are his creation, and everything that you've done in your life has built up to that point. Everything that you've done in your life has led up to what God wants you to do next. Every time fear has won, every breakup that you've been through, every sickness, every failure, every triumph, everything that you have ever done has prepared you for what God wants you to do next. And what if... Red Rocks? What if we lived like this? What if every single person in this room walked out those doors with their shoulders back and their head held high, confident in who God is, confident that the God of the universe is backing them up fully? What if we lived like that? Our generation is being referred to as the microwave generation, the microwave generation, because they think young people are unwilling to work. They think young people are easily distracted and, and unwilling to wait. But I don't, think, I don't think that describes this room at all. I think that we are willing to work. I think that the 20-somethings of Red Rocks Church know who their creator is. I think that we are willing to put in the time and the effort, and we just have to let fear get out of the way in order for God to use us. 
And so the worship team is going to lead us in a song called Thirsty. And we've sang it here a lot, so if you're one of those veterans, you might know the words. But one of the verses says, just breathe. Just breathe. Let peace take over your soul. Whatever you need, whatever you need. Our God, the God we just talked about, he is in control. He's in control. So there's no need to fear because our God is in control. And so for the next song, we're just going to sit here, and we're just going to be in awe of who God is. And the worship team is going to lead us in a song called Thirsty. Spirit 
God, we thank you that you're in this room tonight. We thank you for this worship team. And God, we thank you for all the people that are here. God, we ask that you continue to move. And we ask that you do what you do best. Because God, we worship you. Because you are amazing in every way. You're perfect in every way. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen, guys. All right. I'm going to need this place to get super rowdy. And I mean like rowdier than this place has been since the Red Conference, okay? So we're going to put our hands together for Neil Spadafora. What is up? Woo! How about that good word from Jackie? Woo! That was some pulpit banging, right? That was good stuff. No, uh, yeah, I'm Neil Spadafora. I am one of the three summer interns here on staff. Uh, it's been a pleasure to work with the entire YA staff and just get to know the Red Rock staff. And it's truly uh, an unprecedented opportunity for me to be here. Um, and it's just by grace that I'm here. I'm thankful for that. Um, but with that being said, I got 12 minutes, so this is a sprint. So I'm going right into it. So I'm reading from Galatians 5.1 from the ESV. If you want to open up right now and just take notes and go along with me, that'd be awesome. Galatians 5.1, it says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. I'm going to say that one more time. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Freedom. There, there is nothing that Christ wills with more intensity. There's nothing that he died for with more trembling than yours in my freedom. He went to the cross with one thing in mind. He went to the cross trembling with intensity for our freedom. He came for more than just clearing of our sins so we could be quote-unquote good Christian people that go to church. No, he came so we could be free. So we could live as free people. In fact, it would have been an astounding, an astounding measure of grace had he have just let us be free out of hell for one day. For one day. In light of our sin and all the wickedness in our heart, it would have been a remarkable measure of grace had he have just let us been free on earth. Just on earth. Free people. We can have a clear conscience. We can be free on earth. It would have been an amazing measure of grace had he just done that. Moreover, it would have been a remarkable act of God had he just let us be as free as his angels and servants. Just as free as angels and servants in his courts. That would be marvelous in light of how evil humans are. It would have been marvelous. But no, he came so we could be as free as Christ, we could be sons, free sons, free ambassadors of his, his kingdom. Not just so we could be free momentarily, but the grace and the death that he on, had on the cross made it possible for us to be free sons and heirs. And on that basis, freedom, freedom in Christ more importantly, is an immensely important topic to all. Not just Christians, but to all and freedom, it's, it's somewhat of an elusive term. It really is. A lot of people want to define freedom in various ways. However, freedom is not doing whatever you want. 
That is not freedom. That's a sick form of carnal freedom. That's not freedom by any means. Think of people that you know who have been justified by the grace of God. Sorry, not justified by the grace of God. A little bit of a difference in there. Not justified by the grace of God, and they do whatever they want. They think that they are free people. They think they're free. However, just as they think that they were free people, when I was in that phase of life, I thought I was a free person, doing whatever I want. I didn't have to obey all the moral guides of what the Bible said. I thought that I was free. But that is not freedom. Freedom is doing what you love to do when what you love to do is what you ought to do. It's not doing whatever you want. That's not freedom. Freedom is doing what you love to do when what you love to do is what you ought to do. Freedom is doing what you love to do and not going to hell for it. It would be insane to think that we can be free on earth for a little moment, a mist in the wind, and be under conscious eternal torment and call that freedom. No, that is enslavement. That is not freedom. So Christ came so that we could be free and love what he wants us to do. True freedom, true genuine godly freedom is doing What we love to do, when what we love to do lines up with Christ's idea of righteousness. When what we ought to do is always Christ's idea of righteousness and we love to do that, that is true freedom. Not doing whatever we want to do and later paying for that by an eternal conscious torment in hell. That's not freedom. That's not freedom ever. So with that being said, what do you love to do? As it would say in Hebrews 1.9, are you a lover of righteousness and hate wickedness? Because if you love righteousness and hate wickedness, you're not going to do what you hate. Like personally, I hate running. I hate running with every ounce of my soul. It is a direct result of the fall. I will stand by that to my grave. (laughs) I hate running. I haven't ran in probably five or six years. I kid you not. But I love rock climbing. So therefore, because I love rock climbing, I rock climb nearly every single day. Yes, climber. That's what I like. He understands. We love rock climbing, so we do it. And I hate running, so I don't do it. So if you love righteousness, if you love righteousness, you are going to act righteously. And if you hate wickedness, you are not, you're not going to do wicked things. You're not going to act wickedly. So what we love to do determines how we are going to act. Don't get me wrong. We're going to mess up in that process, and that's grace for us. Right? We, cannot, we cannot be free on our own works. That is grace for us. But however, we will only be free if we stand firm, if, as it says in the second half of this verse, we will only be free if we stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Paul is using some very aggressive language here. Aggressive language. He's saying, stand firm and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. He's not saying Christ has set us free, so do whatever you want because of grace. No, you're not justified by grace if you're acting like such. If you're justified by Christ setting you free, you stand firm, therefore, and honor his death on the cross. You honor God dying on a cross for for us, for the church, you honor that by not submitting again to a yoke of slavery. You don't go back to the yoke of slavery because Christ died with plans that are much greater than your slavery. He died for your freedom, not so you could go back to slavery. Imagine if I was a prisoner or you were a prisoner. Imagine if we were imprisoned, right? 
Now think of our old selves. If you're a Christian in here, think of your old selves. You were imprisoned. However, you're set, of, you're set free in this prison apart from your own doing. Apart from your own doing, you're now standing outside these gates, gates behind you. It is now your responsibility and, and your dignity and your duty to act as a law-abiding citizen, to not go back to your criminal activity because you've been set free. It would be idiotic for a prisoner to be set free and then go right back into criminal activity. Idiotic. But however, when us Christians have been set free by the grace of God, and now we stand outside the wall, the wall of sin and death in hell, and we go back into that activity, it's idiotic. We're going back into our yoke of slavery anytime we're going back into that prison. So what God has done for us, right, this is a little grammar lesson, the indicative, what God has done for us, qualifies the imperative, what we must do. So God has died on a cross for us. Jesus is God. He has died on a cross for us. Now, what we must do is live as free men. Live as free men and women because the indicative, what God has done, qualifies the imperative, what we now must do, which is not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, slavery, you are either consciously not submitting to or passively submitting to. If you are not consciously fighting slavery, you are passively submitting to it. I have never heard of anyone who escaped the hellish realms of slavery by passively doing it by passively doing it. Think of Martin Luther King Jr. and Rosa Parks. They didn't want to just be separate but equal. They wanted to be together and united under the Constitution of the United States so that their kids can play with white kids. And they fought for that. They did boycotts. They had rallies. They went against all of the norms while doing it in Christ's name so that they could be together and united under the Constitution with white America. Think of the American Revolution. Right? When those patriots came over, I pro- sorry, when the redcoats came over, I promise you the patriots did not just submit again into a yoke of slavery under King George. I think it's George, maybe Henry. <laughs> um, but no, they did not do that. They did not just, all right, here's our guns, like uh, take us into slavery. No, I, they f- loaded up those muzzle loaders and pop, pop, pop at some redcoats. I promise you that. And they did that with zeal in it, screaming America. They fought against slavery. They did not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And then how about uh, Scottish independence, Braveheart? Any Braveheart fans? Yes. Right? William Wallace, as he's laying, getting tortured, fighting for the independence of Scotland, he's laying there and he screams, freedom! He screams, freedom! He went to the extent of being tortured so that he could be free. So that he and his people could be free, he was tortured for that. They fought for their freedom. They did not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So RRYA, are you going to submit again to a yoke of slavery and fight for your freedom? Or are you going to go back into your slavery? Go back to your old ways. Go back to your old self. Are you going to put on the armor, fight the good fight, mortify sin, run the race set before you, throwing aside anything that hinders you, glorifying God and not submitting again to a yoke of slavery? Or go back into your slavery. The choice is up to you. I think the consequences are clear. What, what we do matters. And maybe you're even a Christian in here and you feel enslaved. You feel enslaved. You've, you, you get the idea that on this side of eternity, Christ has set you free. 
You get that. But you feel enslaved here. You're not enjoying Christ. Worship is not a passion. It's a tradition. You don't like reading your Bible. You just merely do it because that's what people tell you to do. And you're like, well, preacher, how do I get free? How do I get free? I get the idea that Christ set me free, but what do I do? I can tell you what you don't need to do. You don't need a better life group. You don't need a better pastor. You don't need a better accountability partner. You don't need a better worship service. All that stuff is not intrinsically bad, but it is vain. All you need is a wider, more affectionate, more exalted, a deeper, more beautiful view of Christ dying on a cross for our freedom. You need to wake up every morning a slave to God's word. You need to wake up a slave to his inerrant, perfect word on your knees, reading the Psalms and reading the Proverbs and pleading with him to show you his glory. You do that and you observe his character and you overflow with thanksgiving in the reality that what he has done for you is amazing. You do that and you will be taking steps to freedom, I guarantee you. Moreover, you, li you live your life as the author of this book right here did. Paul, not God, sorry, just Galatians. Paul, you live your life as Paul did. Paul writes elsewhere, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Paul understood and recognized the reality that every time he was being whipped, every time he was enslaved, every time he was abused, every time he was shipwrecked, hungry, naked, without food or drink, in danger, in the city, in the countryside, in his hometown, in Rome, Whenever he was in danger, he recognized the reality that every whip he took was freedom from the world in Christ. And he was not submitting again to a yoke of slavery because he was getting whipped for Christ. He was being abused so he wouldn't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Are you going to do that? Are you going to bear on your body the marks of Jesus? Are you going to become, your, are you going to be in front of the Father one day and be able to say with integrity, Father, look at the righteous chains I have on me. I have enslaved myself to you. Look at the scars I've had from your chains on me. I enslaved myself to you. I honored Christ's death on a cross by putting on your chains and fighting the good fight and not submitting again to the slavery of the world. Are you going to be able to say that with integrity? I can guarantee you Paul was able to. And I, I plead with you, have that be the forefront of your vision and never overflow with thanksgiving that if you don't wake up in hell tomorrow and you're a free person, you say thank you. If I don't wake up in hell tomorrow, all I can say is thank you, Lord. I am free another day. I deserve hell now, but you have given me another free day. I'm standing up here speaking on behalf of God. You have given me another free day. This is grace. Thank you. I am free. You overflow with that thanksgiving. And that's a step to freedom. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. I plead with you. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Let's worship.
of your name, King of Majesty.
what a night. What a night it's been, man. It's such an honor to get to stand on this stage and share tonight with two amazing interns. Um, one of them that I've grown to love this summer. She's grown so much, and she's such an amazing leader. Um, her name is Jackie. Can you guys get up for Jackie real quick? And the other intern is Neil. No, I'm kidding. Neil's uh, been one of my best friends for the last five years. Um, it's such an honor. Um, but it's humbling getting to stand on this stage. There's so many amazing leaders, so many amazing pastors. Men and women of God have stood on. Um, and if you know me, you know that I don't deserve this. You know that I'm just a broken man trying to serve a perfect God. And uh, when I started to walk in my faith, I struggled with this a lot. And I think there's a lot of you in here that once you hear what I'm talking about, you'll say, I'm in the same boat. Because so many times we'll come to Christ, right? We'll come to Christ and we'll think that our lives are supposed to change right away. And then we'll keep making the same mistakes or keep going back to the things that we did before. And then you, you get this thing in your head where you're like, well, maybe, maybe this Jesus thing doesn't work for me. Maybe this Jesus thing doesn't work for someone like me. It might work for them over there like they're doing awesome. But for me? Or you're on the other end and you're like, I grew up in church and I've, I've heard about this freedom my entire life. I've heard about this freedom my entire life. And then you get a voice in your back of your mind, but you're like, but I've done some really bad things. Like, I'm not talking like things that I can share with people. I'm talking really bad things. Like, if, if the things, the ten worst things were to pop up on this side screen, I wouldn't want a single person in this room to see them. Right? And you truly believe that if you were to die today, that you would go straight to heaven. But you get this voice in the back of your mind, but you're like, well, I don't know. I don't know. Because I've done some bad, bad things. And that's because your whole life you've been told you're not good enough. And you've been asked, have you done enough? Have you, have you followed the traditions, the rules? Have you done all these things that supposedly will get you to heaven. Even though that the Bible clearly states in Acts 13, 38 and 39, therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you are not able to obtain under the law of Moses. And what the law of Moses was, was the Ten Commandments, the rules and the traditions in the Old Testament that they had to follow. And even though that the Bible clearly states this, we still think that it's what we do. And then we mess up, we make a mistake, we stumble or we fall into sin and we get down on ourselves. And we start to battle, we say, well, maybe, it, maybe it's not for me. This religion thing, maybe, 
maybe it's not really for me. Or you're on the other end where you're like, well, good people go to heaven, right? All good people go to heaven. Is that how it works? Well, maybe I'll just, maybe I'll just be better then. Maybe I'll start to follow all the rules and all the traditions. And if I pray enough, if I read enough, that's what will get me to heaven. Or we're bondage to our sin. We're chained. We're slaves to our sin. And we think if we do these things, we can break our chains. We're like, we're strong people. If I do enough, I can break the chains of my sin. But the answer is no. No, you can't. Because you're no match for the power of hell. You're no match for the temptation of sin. You will never break your chains. The rules, the traditions, they're not going to set you free. There's only one man, and that's the one that took your place. The Messiah, the light of the world, the lion and the lamb, the son of God, and his name is Jesus. No matter what you've done, no matter how bad you think you are, He's the only one that can save you. And if you're new to this, I want you to hear this right here. God sent his son to live a perfect, spotless, blameless life. To die on the cross and take away the sins of the world for you and for me. No matter what you've done. No matter how far gone you are, he came for you. Because God looked down from heaven. He says, I want that man. I want that woman. I want, I want them all. And I'll do whatever it takes to have them. And he sent his son to live a perfect life and die a brutal death on a cross for you. No matter how long you've been in church, or if tonight's your first night, I truly believe that our greatest challenge isn't our mortality. Morality, wrong word. Our greatest challenge isn't our discipline. Our greatest challenge isn't our prayer life. Our greatest challenge isn't our devotion. Our greatest challenge isn't showing up to church on Sundays. Our greatest challenge is truly believing in the gospel. Our greatest challenge is truly believing that there was a God with a love so reckless, ridiculous, abundant, scandalous, so deep, so wide. That he would send his son for you. Our greatest challenge is truly believing that 2,000 some odd years ago, Jesus went to the cross thinking about you. God knew that you would be broken. God knew that you would be messed up. 
God knew that you would need saving. And so he sent a savior for you, for me. And I only imagine when Jesus went to that cross, when he was thinking of us, he'd know exactly what we're in right now. He'd know exactly what we're struggling with right now. So we're able to go to him and say, God, God, I'm struggling. God, I'm struggling with sin. I'm struggling with my addiction. I'm struggling with my pride. I'm struggling with alcohol. I'm struggling with pornography, God. I need a savior. I need saving. And Jesus, that entire time, is saying, I'll take your sin. I'll take it. And you say, well, God, I'm scared. And, and Jesus is saying, give me your fear. But God, like my past, my past still haunts me. My past still hurts me. That past relationship, the heartbreak, it's still hurting. And Jesus is saying, give me your pain. I'll take it. And we go to God and we're like, well, God, I'm ashamed. God, I'm ashamed of my past. God, I'm ashamed of what I'm struggling with right now. And Jesus is saying, give me your shame. See, our greatest challenge isn't anything else but understanding that Jesus came to set us free. He didn't come to say, oh, you need to do this better. You need to do this better. You need to do this and you need to do this. He came for you, no matter what season of life you're in. God, with all I've done wrong, with everything that I've done wrong, God, I deserve the pain. I deserve the heartbreak. I deserve, I deserve the death. And Jesus, he would look down and he would say, I already paid the price. I already paid the price on the cross for you. Anything you're struggling with right now, Jesus is with you every step of the way. And I feel like tonight, God is, God is breaking some chains. God wants to set some people free tonight. God wants you to go from fear to freedom. He wants you to go from bondage to freedom. From slavery to freedom. He wants that for you tonight. And I know that every single person in here tonight is struggling with something. I'll be the first person to put my hand up. 
I'm struggling with something. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you came in here with. I don't know a lot of your stories. But what I do know is everybody in here is fighting a battle. If you guys would stand with me. In a second, we're going to go into some worship. But before we do, I want you to know that God, no matter where you're at, no matter what you're battling with, he wants to set you free. And if you're new, I want you to hear this. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you've never even heard of him, or maybe you've heard of him, but you've never committed your life to him, I want to give the opportunity tonight for you to do that. It's very simple. If you just confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And if you're here tonight with every head bowed and eyes closed, this isn't between you and your neighbor. This is between you and God. You're saying, I want that freedom. I want that love. If that's you tonight, I want you to just slip your hand up real quick. guys could all just reach your hands up with me. I'm going to pray for everybody. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for tonight. Lord, I thank you for everybody in this seat. Lord, we know you don't do coincidences that everybody is here for a reason. Lord, I pray that tonight chains would fall off and people would be set free. Lord, I pray that tonight people would see your goodness and truly believe in the gospel and see the love that you have brought for them. Jesus, I just thank you. I thank you. I, I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.